All right, um, Colossians chapter 1, if you would please, is where we're going to start. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me in the back? All right. Um, you can go to the next slide. This is the verse we're going to read now. How about that? Can you see those slides? Can some of you in the back read that? Some of you probably have better eyes than others. We're going to read Colossians 1, 1 through 6, and it says this. Um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is into all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and ye knew the grace of God in truth. And um, let's just bow in a word of prayer, please, and ask the Lord's blessing on our study, and then uh, we can advance to the next slide. Uh, gracious Father in heaven, we love your word, and we're so thankful for it. Uh, you, have, you have given us your eternal breathed out word from your lips from these are your words and these are special words so help us as we read them as we study them as we memorize them and as we meditate upon them father may they uh, change our lives because you are worthy may they change our lives because they are from you and we ask father for your blessing upon each and every person here tonight each and every member of our church who is not here tonight for our pastor who is not with us tonight for the folks who could not be here for uh, working or for being ill. We ask your blessing upon him, on them, Father, and we ask as a congregation, as a unit, that you would please um, grant unto us your spirit to teach us your word and lead us into all truth. And we ask your blessing, please, upon the remainder of this evening. In Christ's name, amen. So I was talking to my wife um, earlier today about whether or not I should have slides and I said, when I first started, I think I'm going to prepare some, some studies in Colossians. I wasn't aware I would be preaching on Sunday morning at first when pastor asked me. So I said, well, this is going to be perfect for slides. So I started to put together some slides. Then when I found out I was going to preach on Sunday morning, I decided, well, we're not going to have slides on Sunday morning. So I kind of canned that idea. And then you can see I put it all back together this afternoon. I have some slides. I hope they're useful to you. Um, they were useful to me, actually, in making them because... I get to see all of this twice, and it kind of cements it in your mind a little bit, so that helps me. Um, but I do have to tell you the comment that my wife, that Rhonda said when I first started asking her about slides. She said, wait a minute, why don't you just have more sermons telling everyone how wonderful your wife is? <laughs> so I, I had to skip past that and said, no, we're just going to go to slides about Colossians. So here we are in Colossians. We spent two Sunday morning services together recently discussing several truths from the book of Colossians. This epistle was written by none other than the Apostle Paul, we believe, in the year 62 AD. The church at Colossae was, most agree, established through the preaching of one Epaphras, a friend and co-worker of the Apostle Paul. Paul then wrote this letter to those believers to address some doctrinal problems that were prevalent in the area at the time. Notice the expressive love and the encouraging words of the apostle to this group of Christians he had never met. Now, as a quick review, on September 24th, we attempted to help paint a big picture of this epistle, noting that chapters 1 and 2 are to be, are to be considered doctrinal instruction, 
while chapters 3 and 4 are practical exhortations. Chapters 1 and 2 speak of the supremacy of Christ. Chapters 3 and 4 express the need of submission to Christ. Chapters 1 and 2 speak of what Christ did for us, while chapters 3 and 4 speak of what Christ does through us. And again, these divisions that we have in front of us, they're man-made, right? This is not from God, but it just seems the way that the English Bible translators put these verses together breaks out in that fashion, and it helps us to really have a look at the book. So next slide, please. We then spent two times, uh, we spent time in two passages in Colossians chapter 1. First, in discussing verses 9 through 14, we considered the kind of church we should be, and that is this body of believers should be living lives that are worthy of the Lord. That is, lives that are first, bringing his word to bear upon our daily living. Secondly, lives that are strengthened by his might. And the outcome then in verse 12 is a church joyfully giving thanks to the Father for lives that have learned patience and long-suffering. Wow, what a great lesson to learn through long-suffering. Next slide, please. Secondly, we spent time um, hearing the words of the Apostle Paul proclaiming the preeminence of Jesus Christ. First, our Lord Christ is preeminent in his person. Second, Jesus is preeminent in his power. And third, Jesus Christ is preeminent in his position. That week then, we concluded that being the kind of church that has its members living lives that are worthy of him is possible because of the power provided us through our amazing, powerful, and preeminent Savior, Jesus Christ. Realizing this then affects our prayer lives as we praise our great God for delivering us from the power of darkness and giving us redemption through the blood of his Son. Then, um, next slide if you would please, October 1st, we went to... Colossians chapter 2, and we're reminded that we as believers, we are complete in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in verse 10. That is, we have been buried with him in baptism, and we have been risen with him to newness of life. This is because of what Paul tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, that God has quickened us through Jesus Christ. He has made us alive. We are complete in him because, he has, because we have been granted the privilege of new birth, of new life. What an amazing privilege and honor that we have through the work of our Savior. Then into chapter 3, we read this challenge. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Matthew Henry said this, we must live such a life as Christ lived here on earth and lives now in heaven according to our capacities. Next slide, if you would, please. And so, in chapter 3 then, Paul helps us, to, helps us understand how to frame the context of our thinking around this phrase, set your affection on things above. He tells us first that Jesus Christ is to be our life and that our lives are to be hid with Christ in God. Paul secondly tells the Colossians that the unholy culture around us is not a place for a Christian to allow his or her thoughts to attend. Jesus Christ is to be our lives. Thirdly, we are to reject our natural way of thinking as it takes our minds completely away from Christ-like thinking. That is why it is so important for us to have the Word of God in our lives. We then discuss this exercise of putting off, putting off and putting on that Paul describes in chapter 3. 
True Christian thinking is disciplined. It's exercise. We are to put off the old man and put on the new man. We are to put on a heart of mercy. We are to put on kindness, put on humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and charity. This kind of godly living takes supernatural thinking. This does not come through our own strength. It requires spiritual discipline. Each of those two weeks then, um, I think you can go to the next slide now, yeah. Right, there we are. So this one's really hard to read. You won't see all of the details I have here. But each of the, the, those weeks then, we took a look at how this truly Christian approach to thinking could affect our prayer lives, how it may influence our daily lives, and how it would impact our personal lives. So what we talked about on those two Sunday mornings sounds like a lot of work. And Do you know why? It's because it is. It is work. It is work. Being a Christian, being a mature Christian, being a Christian that... Time out. This thing, is, this thing and I are not getting along. I'm going to try to keep my hands off. But all right. Being the kind of Christian we should be is... Um, it, it, it makes us to discipline our thinking. It makes us to replace our logical, natural thinking with thinking that comes only from Scripture, that we get only from God through the Word of God and instilled into us by the Spirit of God. This is an impact on our personal lives. So tonight, I should like to wrap up this quick study of Colossians by considering three more passages for our Bible study tonight, and then we will be finished. Um, would you please turn uh, Colossians 3.15. You can go to the next slide. I think now, I think, yes, there we go. Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. All right, Paul, you've told us we need to discipline the way we think. You told us that God does not want us living or thinking like the world. God is not interested us in being involved in worldly practices that are simply the result of worldly thinking. You told us that we have to discipline and work at the way we think, and it's influenced by God's Word. Now you're telling us that God's Word has to rule in our hearts. Note there that we turn from the thought of love ruling in our lives to this idea of peace having its place. We turn maybe from character to conduct. Warren Wiersbe, I apologize, Mr. Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe asks this question, how can a Christian know when he is doing God's will? One answer says, when the peace of Christ is in the heart and in the church. When the believer loses his inner peace, he knows that he has in some way disobeyed God. This peace that Paul mentions is just the same as what he was telling the church at Philippi. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And it says this, And the peace of God, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The peace of God. So if you look back at Colossians 3.15, you'll see the word rule. The word rule is there. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now interestingly, that's an athletic term. It means to preside at games and in the end distribute prizes. That's what the ruler was at the Olympic Games. It was someone who would be, uh, preside over the games and distribute the prizes. 
Paul uses a variation of this word back in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, when he declared this, let no one declare you unworthy of a prize. That's a variation of the same word. In the Greek games that were popular, there were judges, or we will call them umpires tonight. These umpires declared some contestants unqualified, and some even were disqualified. Anyone here have any experience as an umpire or an official in sporting games? A couple of you have. This is a true story, and I will not tell you who the gentleman was, but if you give me a dollar after church, I'll give you his name. There's a guy who's a member of our church who was, an, uh, when he was a teenager, when he was a teenager, he went down to the YMCA, and he signed up to be an umpire for YMCA baseball. And he's, his story goes like this. The first day, the first game, he gets the teams together, and they start the game. The pitcher goes to the mound. The pitcher throws the first ball, and he's standing behind the catcher, and he says, strike one. And someone from the stands screams, are you blind? That was a ball. And he said, okay, ball one. (laughs) And that was his first and last game umpiring a baseball game. Because an, an umpire, right, is someone who has to make the call. An umpire, an official, if you will, has to be the final arbiter, someone who makes the call. Paul says the peace of God is the umpire in our believing hearts, and in our church. When we obey the will of God, we have his peace within. When we step out of line, we will eventually lose the peace of God. Now, this is not a false peace of someone maybe perhaps like Jonah, who disobeyed, yet seemed to have peace about his decision. This verse speaks of a peace that comes from being surrendered. Surrendered to his will and seeking his guidance in his word. Let the peace of God umpire your life. Now, the peace of the heart alone is not the peace of God. How often have we heard Pastor Largent remind us as Christians that even though we have a peaceful feeling about a decision, if we have not sought the word of the Lord in that decision, it is not a right decision. The peace of God comes from opening, reading, studying, and obeying the word of God. This is the peace of God, let it umpire your decisions in your life. F.B. Meyer wrote this, whenever there is a doubtful issue to be decided and by one course your peace may be disturbed whilst by others it may be maintained, choose those things that make for peace, whether for yourself or for others. Let God's peace act as the umpire. Now, at the same time, this, does not, this is not the approach that says, okay, peace at any price. This is not that. When the cause of truth is assailed or the rights of others are invaded, we must stand up boldly and strongly for righteousness. The effect then of righteousness will be peace. Be reminded that Melchizedek was first the king of righteousness and after that, the king of peace, the king of Salem. So, you and I tomorrow will face decisions that need contemplation, perhaps. Maybe our decisions should be tempered with thinking of the impact to my mind and to my church community when I make a decision according to the will of Almighty God. He gives peace. He gives peace when His word is followed, when His word is obeyed. Adam Clark said, when a man loses his peace, it is an awful proof that he has lost something else, that he has given away to evil and grieved the Spirit of God. So finally, let's look at the end of that verse, uh, Colossians 3.15, and notice this, and be thankful. 
and be ye thankful. Albert Barnes says, an ungrateful people is commonly a tumultuous, agitated, restless, and dissatisfied people. Nothing better tends to promote peace and order than gratitude to God for his mercy. Warren Wiersbe wrote, when there is peace in the heart, there will, there will be praise on the lips. When there is peace in the heart, there will be praise on the lips. The Christian out of God's will is never found giving sincere praise to God. You will notice the words of David in Psalm 32, 1 through 7. He says this. I think I have this one. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of small, but it's at the bottom. Psalm 32, David said this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto thee. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. Someone has said, it is impossible to hold on to anger when the hands are full of gratitude. It's impossible to hold on to anger when the hands are full of gratitude. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. And be thankful. Christians, we need the peace of God ruling in our hearts. And it results in a thankful heart. You want to be someone that's thankful? I, I do. I think we should all be thankful people. We're reminded the word thankfulness appears repeatedly in the book of Colossians. This happens when the peace of God rules in our heart. It's an outflow. Secondly, then tonight, and you can go to the next slide. Um, Colossians 3.16, the next verse. I would like us to have a quick look at this. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Matthew Henry says, The gospel is the word of Christ. Many have heard the word, but it dwells in them poorly. It has no power over them. The soul prospers when we are full of the scriptures and of the grace of Christ. I'll repeat that. The soul prospers when we are full of the scriptures and of the grace of Christ. Now in Colossians, in the time of, at the time of the writing of this book, the false teachers had come to Colossae. They had been in this town. They were there with their man-made traditions, teaching religious rules and human philosophies, attempting then to harmonize God's word with their teachings. However, they could not succeed. God's word always magnifies Jesus Christ. When we are full of the scriptures and the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the word that brought salvation to the Colossians. Look back at Colossians 1.5. It says this, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. This is that word. Or look at 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 1 through, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. 
For all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth away, falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Thank God tonight for his word. Thank God that we have, in 21st century America, we have his word. We have what he wants us to have, his word. The apostles' encouragement here lets us know that these words will transform our lives if we will permit it to dwell in us richly. Dwell in us richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not enough to have a Bible app on your phone. It's infinitely better to have its truths stored within your soul. It's a good thing to carry your tablet with several versions of the scripture into the church. It's a far better thing to carry its message In your heart. The key is to have the truth of God's word. Get into us. Get into your heart. And into your soul. Let the word of Christ. Dwell in you. Charles Spurgeon said this. About this this verse. A person could not be said to dwell in a house. Even though he should enter into the most private part of it. If he only passed through it and went away. A man who dwells in a house. Abides resides, remains, continues there. Oh, to have the word of Christ always dwelling inside of us, in the memory never forgotten, in the heart always loved, in the understanding really grasped, with all the powers and passion of the mind fully submitted to its control. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Secondly, we must remember that Paul wrote this encouragement not just for individuals, but for the church community. He wrote this to the entire church body. As the word of Christ dwells richly in each member, it will dwell, it will dwell richly in the church fellowship. The word of Christ dwells richly in us. In me, yes, but in us. In a church fellowship. I love that our church annually encourages its members to read through the Bible regularly. We keep track of it on the wall in the back by the multipurpose building. I love that we have the word of God as the central curriculum in our Sunday school classes and in our preaching. I love that we have many families and groups that regularly devote time and energy to its study. We have to let it dwell richly in us. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. But sometimes we have a tendency to forget its purpose, don't we? We just have a tendency to get busy with life. When my children were very small, there's a story uh, we, laugh, we laugh at occasionally, my wife and I laugh at about occasionally. When my children were small, I, bought, I went to the store and I bought a bag of M&Ms. Uh, where'd Omar go? I have another M&M story. So I gave this big bag of M&Ms to my two-year-old who was in her car seat in the back. And as we're driving down the road, I said to her, what are you eating? And she said, M&Ms. And I said, can I have one? And I held my hand back. I kept my eyes on the road, but I held my hand back. And she gave me an M&M. And I ate that M&M. And then I said to her, can I have two? And I held my hand back behind the car seat. And she gave me two M&Ms. She said, here you go, Daddy. And I ate those two M&Ms. And then she took a look at her bag and noticed that what was at one time a big bag of M&Ms was now becoming a small bag of M&Ms pretty quickly. And so I reached my hand back one more time. And I said, Can I have another M&M? And my little two-year-old daughter in her two-year-old voice said, just drive a car, Daddy. Just drive a car. (laughs) So sometimes Ron and I will look at each other and say, just drive a car. 
just drive to car. That just means do what you're supposed to do. Just drive to car. This is not about M&Ms, is it? Right? This is not about me. This is not about you. This is not about getting rich. This life is not about comfort. This life is not about pleasure. This life is not about attaining all of those dreams that you have. This life is not about living the American dream. This life is about Jesus Christ. There are very real dangers in churches today where the word of God is minimized. How sad it is to find yourself in a church that seems to lack simple Bible teaching in its classrooms and in the pulpits. Many churches have an interest in movies, musicals, and entertainments. Let us take the time and discipline to read, study, and meditate upon God's holy word. The outcome then is that we continue to teach and admonish each other to the glory of God. Sometimes that's in songs, right? As, as it says there in verse 16. But the real outcome is that we teach and admonish each other. That we are encouraged in each other. We are a family. We are a church body. We are a church community seeking to serve our great Savior. And it happens when the words of our Savior dwell in us. When we have it. When we know it. And we have to read it. And we have to study it. And we have to meditate upon it. And we have to talk to each other about it. And we have to proclaim it. And we have to say it again and again and again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you can move to the next slide now. Um, the last place I want to look tonight is from Colossians chapter 4. And this, of course, is not an extensive study of Colossians. I uh, passed up entire passages. I just kind of picked some of my favorite passages. And the last one I want to look at tonight is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. That it says this, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Boy, talk about something that's exercise. Talk about something that takes discipline. Talk about something that might be just flat out tough. Let's talk about prayer. Paul says to the Colossian people, continue in prayer and watch in prayer, watch in the same with thanksgiving. We have considered how the peace of God rules in our hearts while the word of Christ dwells in us. And to do that, and to that, the apostle tells us of the importance of prayer. Notice that Paul was not ashamed to ask for prayer support. Paul said, hey, I need people who will pray for me. Uh, this is the apostle Paul. And if the apostle Paul needed someone to pray for him, what do you suppose you and I need? He was not afraid to ask for support. He needed help in his life. And in his ministry, I'd like us to notice, please, four characteristics of the prayer life that Paul enjoined. First, he tells us that our praying should be faithful. He mentions to continue in prayer. This means to be steadfast in your prayer life. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer. Prayer. Not always easy, but we must be faithful. Secondly, our praying should be watchful. We need to be alert as we pray. The word translated watch here means, unfortunately, here's what it means. The word means watch, uh, translated watch from the Greek, it means to keep oneself awake. That's what the word means. Watch. Jesus used that phrase, watch and pray, in Mark chapter 13, verse 33. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, Paul also used the same phrase in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 that we read. 
Watch, therefore, with all perseverance and supplication. Our prayer needs to be watchful. Warren Wiersbe said, real praying demands spiritual energy and alertness. And this comes only from the Holy Spirit of God. Thirdly, our praying should be thankful. Thankful. Thanksgiving is an important part of successful praying. Not just a holiday that we're going to see when we flip our calendars at the end of the month. Thanksgiving is an important part of successful praying. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Someone has said, Sincere gratitude to God is one of the best ways to put fervor into your praying. Sincere gratitude to God is one of the best ways to put fervor into our praying. Fourthly, our prayers should be purposeful. Purposeful. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 3 indicates Paul's purpose in asking for this assistance in prayer. Our prayer requests should lean to specific prayer requests rather than to general blessings. Not against someone standing up and saying, hey, let's pray for a missionary. That's a good general request, but perhaps we should find out what the missionary needs. Perhaps we should find out, rather than just praying for our brother across the aisle from us, perhaps we should find out what that brother needs. Perhaps we should find out about the needs. Be specific in our prayers. Our prayers should be purposeful. Take the time to pray to allow your father to hear and respond to specific requests. Matthew Henry said it this way in his commentary, No duties can be done aright unless we persevere in fervent prayer and watch therein with thanksgiving. May we be a people of prayer. So next slide, please, if you would. So to summarize, we have the peace of God to umpire in our hearts, honoring his word. We are to have the word of Christ dwelling richly in us as we teach and admonish each other in the ways of the Lord. And then we have an encouragement to pray. This approach encompasses the entire life. This is all of our beings. This is all of our times, all of our days, all of our moments. We have God. We have Jesus Christ. We have the word dwelling in us and the peace umpiring in our hearts all the time. Jesus Christ is our God. He is worth handing over all other thoughts to and allowing him to be the judge. Christ is our Lord. He is worth giving our time to mastering his words. God is our great Savior. He is worthy of allocating our resources and energy in supplication and in prayer. He is worth it. He is worthy. Just imagine how this thinking will impact our daily lives. Just imagine how when we live lives as a church community where the word of God is dwelling richly in our hearts, boy, and we as a church are feasting on the word of God and we allow the peace of God to umpire in our hearts to make decisions for us, if you will, to allow us, rather than say, I just don't know what to do, we go to the word of the Lord and we get encouragement in what to do. Imagine how this would impact our personal lives and how it would influence then finally our prayer lives. Our prayer lives. Again, I reminded you this the last two Sundays. Colossians takes about five and a half minutes for an average person to read. I encourage you to read it. 
we didn't go through the whole book of Colossians and uh, we probably won't anytime soon. I encourage you to read it. But I would like to close with a quote from John Darby that I think ties this whole section together. John Darby said this. I think it, yeah, it's up there in the corner. Observe here that the Christian life is not only characterized by certain subjective qualities which flow from Christ, but by its having Christ himself for the aim and object of the heart and mind, and in all that we do in every respect. Christ personally reigns in and is pleasant to the heart in everything. This is all about Jesus Christ. This life is all about Jesus Christ. This church should be all about Jesus Christ. Now, do we fail? Yeah, of course. Do we rebel? Yes, of course. Do we sin? Yes, of course. But the Word of God has answers for all of those. The Word of God, when it dwells in us richly, is our light. It has our answers. It is our guide. We let the peace of God reign in our hearts and in our minds. And we remember to pray, to pray for each other, to pray for our missionaries, to pray about our decisions, to pray about our needs, to pray about the needs of that guy across the other side of the aisle. Yeah, that guy who parked where you like to park. Yeah, we got to pray for him. Yeah. You know, the one who's just a little bit annoying. Yeah, you got to pray for her. The one who's very annoying. Yeah, you got to pray for him too, right? Because we are in this together. We are a body of believers that are strengthened, encouraged by our Savior, filled with His Spirit, guided by His words, which dwells in us richly. We have been given a great opportunity and a great privilege to be a part of the body of Christ and of this body of believers. God has chosen you to be His child, to have His Son and His Spirits. And His Spirit, let us live the best life we can through our Lord Jesus Christ and through his word. So 